Hey friends, welcome back to the Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me again for this week's message. We are continuing to walk our way through the book of Joshua in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible. And today we come to a story that deals with areas in life that are not always black and white, but are a little bit gray. What happens when somebody kills another person accidentally or unintentionally? Um, It wasn't something they meant to do. It wasn't something they planned to do, but unfortunately it was something that happened. What is the fair and just and loving response to families that are in pain, who react to the same situation very differently and who want very different outcomes? The way God guides the Israelites to handle this situation uh, gives us insight into how we can deal with these kind of situations in our own lives today. I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message on a safe space. Laura Bush is married to former President George W. Bush. Two days after her 17th birthday, on the evening of November 6, 1963, she failed to stop her car at a stop sign and smashed into a Corvair, being driven by a high school friend who was also 17. She and her passenger were treated for minor injuries at a nearby hospital where she learned that her other friend had died from his injuries in the accident. No police charges were filed. When her husband ran for president in 2000, her spokesman said, to this day, Mrs. Bush remains unable to talk about what happened. Matthew Broderick is known for his role in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, as well as other movies and Broadway productions he has starred in. Back in 1988, he was driving a rented BMW in Northern Ireland when he crossed the center line, crashing head-on into a Volvo carrying a local woman and her mother. Both of the Irish women were killed in the accident. The actress, Jennifer Grey, who was riding in Broderick's car with him, escaped with minor injuries. Broderick himself ended up in an Irish hospital with a concussion, a broken leg, and a collapsed lung. He was charged with causing death by dangerous driving, but ended up being convicted of a lesser charge of careless driving. He paid a fine of $175. Adlai Stevenson was the former governor of Illinois. He ran for president of the United States against Dwight Eisenhower in both 1952 and 1956. He later became ambassador to the United Nations under President John F. Kennedy. Back in 1913, just before his 13th birthday, he was handling a 22 caliber rifle at a Christmas party when the gun went off, killing a 15-year-old girl, 
The New York Times reported that the boys at the party were students at a military academy. They had found an old repeating rifle and they thought they had taken all of the cartridges out of it. But when Stevenson was handling it, the rifle discharged. The bullet struck the girl in the forehead, killing her instantly. <clears throat> the shooting was ruled accidental and no charges were ever filed against him. When he was asked about the incident by a reporter in 1952, he confirmed that the story was true. What is the right thing to do in these instances? Sometimes people get killed by accident. It's always a tragedy. It wasn't meant to happen, but it did happen. What is the fair and just response to the person who is responsible for a death, but who didn't mean to cause a death? After the Israelites took control of the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, this was an issue they had to deal with. How did God lead them to deal with people who had accidentally caused another person's death? The Israelites put in place something they called cities of refuge. And in Joshua chapters 20 and 21, it tells us three things. What cities of refuge are, why we need cities of refuge, and what we learn from cities of refuge. First of all, what cities of refuge are. Joshua chapter 20 verses 1 through 9 says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. East of the Jordan, on the other side from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth and Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. 
The Lord told Joshua to designate three cities on the east side of the Jordan River and three cities on the west side of the Jordan River to be cities of refuge. Today, we might call these sanctuary cities. These were places where both Israelites and foreigners, both citizens and non-citizens, could go for their own protection. Israel, like many Middle Eastern countries, was what is known as a shame and honor culture. That means when someone kills a member of your family, it brings shame on your family. To restore your family's honor, family members must go after that person to kill him to even the score. Whether the death was accidental or intentional didn't matter. People would avenge their family member's death by killing the responsible party. God is now instructing the people to act differently. He tells Joshua to set aside those cities of refuge where people can go to in order to get a fair trial. They had to make their case to the elders of the city. If the elders of the city believe that the death was accidental and unintentional, they are to admit the person into their city, protect him, and not surrender him to the people who want to kill him. They provide safety until a trial can be held. If the trial determines that the death was accidental, the person can remain safely in the city of refuge until the high priest dies. After that, they may return home and they are not to be killed in retaliation. Justice was served. The second question in this passage is, why do we need cities of refuge? The cities of refuge and the due process they enshrine reveal that human life is precious to God. Both the life of the one unintentionally killed and the life of the manslayer are honored in this law. It even provides for a measure of grace and redemption for the person responsible for an accidental death. The Bible teaches the sanctity of human life. The life of the person who died is valuable. The life of the person who accidentally killed them is also valuable. Both lives are to be protected. Cities of refuge were also needed to protect people from vigilante justice. God did not want people taking the law into their own hands. God did not want people killed before a trial could be conducted to determine their guilt or innocence. There have been many instances throughout history where people just assumed that someone had committed a crime and took their life for it before a fair trial could be conducted. Cities of refuge were instituted to bring an end to this practice and protect people from injustice. One of the early church fathers, Jerome, who lived in the late 300s and early 400s, 
compare the unintentional killer in this story to the person who sins in ignorance. Sometimes we hurt people and wound people unintentionally. That doesn't mean it's okay, but it does mean it's different from someone who consciously sets out to hurt another person. He compares the person who waits in the city of refuge until the high priest dies to receive their freedom to leave the city to sinners who lived before the death of Jesus, the ultimate high priest. It was after Christ's death and resurrection that we were set free from our sins. Now we leave our sins and our past behind and we begin our lives again. Jerome said that just as the shedding of the blood of the high priest at his death set unintentional killers free, we have now been set free by the shedding of the blood of Christ, the real high priest. He says it shows us that Jesus does not delight in the death of sinners, but that he was willing to die in our place so that we could all be set free from the mistakes of our past. We don't have to keep living with them forever. Life is precious, and we shouldn't throw our future away even when we have made terrible mistakes in our past. If we confess what we have done to God the judge, and if we are honest with him about the actions we have committed, we can rest assured that he will deal with us justly and fairly and graciously. God is not a judge to be feared. God is the judge who believes in giving us second chances. The third question is, what do we learn from cities of refuge? First of all, we learn that we will always have problems we have to deal with. The Israelites have been waiting over 400 years to enter the promised land. Now they finally have entered it and conquered it, and they are in charge. But if they thought the promised land would be a perfect world, they were wrong. They still had to deal with each other's sin in their culture. People still hurt each other. People still did things they shouldn't have done. They still needed a justice system to settle disputes and determine what was right and fair. Until we get to heaven, we will always have problems to deal with. Secondly, we learn that some of life's problems are not black and white, but gray. If someone murders someone intentionally, that's black and white. We know that's wrong, and we don't have a problem with sentencing them with a punishment. But when someone accidentally causes another death, that's more of a gray area. What is the fair and just response? The family who has lost a loved one can't just walk away and say, oh, it doesn't matter. You didn't mean to do it, so it's okay. No, they are hurting and in pain. 
they want justice done. But the family of the one responsible will argue that it was an accident. Their loved one never intended for this to happen. The lesson of the cities of refuge draws a balance between the two. It shows us that we are not to pursue vigilante justice. We are not to take the law into our own hands. Everyone deserves a fair trial, and we should not take the life of someone who accidentally causes another's death. But the manslayer still gives up some of their freedom. They can live in the city of refuge without penalty, but they can't leave the city of refuge without possible penalty. So they have to give up some of their freedom. There is a cost they have to live with. They still have a burden they have to bear for a time. There are consequences for their actions, even when they are unintentional. <clears throat> Thirdly, we learn that we all need the grace of God. God acts through the cities of refuge to protect people who have accidentally hurt someone else. Intention does make a difference. There's a difference between premeditated harm and accidental harm. We should treat them differently. God does. It's not that there are no consequences, but there are different consequences. God gives us grace we don't deserve. God gives us shelter even when we are guilty. God cares for us even when we have harmed another person. God extends mercy to us that we have not earned. God forgives us when our actions have not warranted it. Part of Jesus' teachings in the Bible is that because God has given us grace we do not deserve, we need to give grace to others that they do not deserve. Sometimes it feels to me like we are living in a culture that has forgotten how to extend grace to others. We are quick to criticize others without knowing all the facts. We are quick to condemn others on just one news report from a disreputable source. We are quick to believe bad things about other people that we read from strangers on social media without knowing if it's really true or not. God is a God of grace, and he calls us to be people of grace, too. On December 17, 1903, Wilbur and Orville Wright made their first ever airplane flight in Kitty Hawk. They spent the next few years developing and refining and improving their airplanes. By 1908, they had secured a contract from the U.S. Army for a two-man airplane. They returned to Kitty Hawk to test it out. The flight tests set out by the Army required the plane to carry two people for a set duration, distance, and speed. On September 17th, Orville Wright was flying a plane with a 26-year-old man named Thomas Selfridge. 
three or four minutes into the flight, a blade on one of the two wooden propellers split and caused the engine to shake violently. Orville shut down the engine, but was unable to control the airplane. The propeller hit a bracing wire and pulled the rear rudder from a vertical position to a horizontal position. This caused the airplane to pitch nose down. The plane hit the ground hard and both men were injured. Orville suffered a fractured leg and several broken ribs. Selfridge suffered a fractured skull and died in the hospital a few hours later. What should be done with Orville Wright? Should he be held responsible for the death of Thomas Selfridge? It was an accident. It was unintentional. But he was the one flying the plane. <clears throat> he was responsible for the safety of his passenger. But he was never charged with any wrongdoing. The Army allowed the Wright brothers to complete their trials the following year and then awarded them with another contract. But because of the crash, Army pilots were required to wear helmets similar to early football helmets in order to minimize the chance of head injury like the one that killed Thomas Selfridge. We learn from the stories of Orville Wright, Laura Bush, Matthew Broderick, and Adlai Stevenson, that sometimes people are killed unintentionally. Sometimes it's an accident, but the damage unfortunately has been done. The story of Joshua tells us that God set up a justice system for the Israelites that included cities of refuge. These were places that both citizens and foreigners could go to for protection from people who wanted to kill them when they had accidentally killed another person. They show us that God's grace is a safe space. They show us that God cares about fairness, justice, and due process. It shows us the value of human life and that God cares about the value of everyone's life. It shows us the grace of God and how God extends his grace to us even when we fail, when we falter, and when we flounder. And it shows us that we all need a Savior, both for the sins we intend to commit and the ones we don't. God bless. Stay safe. See you soon.